This is the Untitled Film Project podcast with Jim Chandler, Jeremy K. Gover, and Justin Bradford. And today we're talking Buzz Lightyear, Elvis, and our special question. This is our first double episode. Jim, where we're discussing Woo-hoo. two movies and because it's summer movie season right so it's, it's one of those things where like we, we can't have a dedicated episode to every single major movie that comes out so we, we wanted to discuss two in one plus villains and we had great response so no gover and i got some great replies on twitter yes. on favorite villains uh, even people argue back and forth like just favorite mean you like them or favorite mean you thought they were the best i can't wait to get to that but first let's go ahead and start off with year this is the Pixar film, the Disney Pixar film that just released based on the man Buzz Lightyear, not the toy Buzz Lightyear, but Buzz Lightyear, the man, which the toy is based off of, which is the film that Andy saw, which made Buzz Lightyear become a, a favorite of his. They, they introduce it all, and it's been hilarious to me to see the comment threads on some of these posts of people that still don't get it. I mean, you don't have to like it but they don't get it and the reasoning why they went with this film. Gover, especially you, because animated films tend to be family targeted. This one, I felt like this was a little more older targeted, targeted more towards millennials and older Gen Z, people that grew up with Toy Story that are now adults that have families. Just overall, what was your, what was your take on this film as well too, overall as a film in itself and, and what it referenced? Well, every animated film, except for maybe South Park, bigger, longer, uncut. That was probably not <laughs> uh, a solid family choice if you took your family nine guy. or ten-year-old to... Uh, well, Family Guy's not a movie, have they? If they have, I've missed yeah, it. Blue Harvest. Disappoint- <laughs> well, okay, but I meant in the theater. Very yes. okay, fair, fair. Theatrical release. Uh, South Park was amazing, by the way. Uh, <laughs> I'm not a South Park fan. But that's neither here nor there. Uh, Lightyear was tremendous for me. I love the fact that they set it up with an opening slate of this is the movie Andy saw in the year that, you know, Toy Story came out. That was really, really cool. I also really liked the different ways that they incorporated Tim Allen's lines of the original movie, for example, into this one. Disney Pixar, of course, hit it out of the park like they always do. I mean, it's kind of like a, um, you know, when Spielberg and Tom Hanks were in their heyday, you'd never go into a Tom Hanks or Spielberg movie and be like, am I going to like this? (laughs) <laughs> even if it's not even if it's not your jam you're like this, this is gonna be any good yeah yeah uh <laughs> i try to walk into the theater with my bop my popcorn bucket and i get my comfortable seat and i get all ready to go turn my turn my phone on vibrate all that stuff and i try not to have the mentality of this is going to be great or this is going to be terrible or some sort of expectation i try to keep it as evenly as possible uh with this one however again because of their historical record it was very hard to think. Well, at least I'm I'm gonna at least respect this movie, even if I don't care for it because it doesn't hit me or whatever. I'm gonna, sure. I'm, gonna I'm really sure. gonna respect it. And I will say that it was, uh, I got a lot out of it. I'm glad I went. I'm glad I saw it on the big screen, and I'm glad I went and took my son. Uh, those those that's I'll leave it at that for now. Yeah. So it sounds like you had a better first experience than I did. Well, yeah, but the movie you know, it, theater. It, it does. It does kind of. It does kind of hurt when your the electricity goes off in your theater, though. That does yes. hinder the movie. It, it, okay, I will say this: not going to adjust my bias or anything for. But for those that don't know, it was summer Fridays for my work, and so off on Fridays. And AMC has really loaded it up with morning shows. I mean, there were eight AM shows, nine AM shows for not just Lightyear but Top Gun, and there were three people that went to see Top Gun. At eight in the morning. 
when it's not the summer and I have those days off, like those Mondays, I work from home, right? So if I have like a Monday off or a Friday off or something, and it's like April something, and there's not those movies, like there's no showtimes, those early show, like the first showtimes at like sucks. three in the afternoon, it sucks. I it would sucks. love I there to be waiting. a constant I, nine yes. or 10 a.m. show. That'd be great. Oh, yeah. So I'm going to a 10 a.m. light year show. It's like I had to take, I had to take my wife to work. Her car was in the shop. And so it's like 10 a.m. is perfect. I can get breakfast. I can go to the theater. And my alarm system's going off. My weather radio is going off. I checked Nashville severe weather on Twitter and it's like, oh, there's storms coming. I'll just get to the theater. It'll be fine. I will get my popcorn. I check in. I get my drink. I'm in the middle of filling up at the Coke freestyle. The power flickers. And I'm like, uh oh, <laughs> I couldn't even fill up the cup. It flickers during the then, freestyle. Yes. Oh, man. Insult to yes. injury. I know. So it goes off. And this all families there, too. And we're just like, oh, well, it's probably going to come back on. It's a theater. It's going to be fine. It comes back on for maybe five minutes or so. The freestyle machines are rebooting. And for those that don't realize, the freestyle machines are a computer. And it takes yep. a while for them to boot up. I guess it's like reticulating splines, getting the mixture set, all that stuff. And it's so close. This one mom is there with her toddler, ready to just finish filling up her cup. And you see the, the percentage bar at like 95%. The power goes off again. You're like, oh, come on. No. <laughs> Thwarted. So it is oh pouring gosh. down rain. The wind is blowing. So much lightning. I'm like, the power's not coming out anytime soon. They evacuate everybody from all the different theaters within. So everybody's in the lobby. I'm just munching on my popcorn. Oh, the one time I can go on a Friday morning to see a show, this happens. It lasts for like 45 minutes. It's still storming. They end up giving readmit coupons to everyone that was standing there. So I, I'm I'm lucky. At least the movie didn't start. That would suck even more if you're like 30, 40 minutes into a show and you're invested, you're in it. You've you've like let yes. yourself be released into a film, whatever it is. At least it happened before. So I wait and wait and wait. The app still shows theater closed, theater closed. Finally, like one o'clock in the afternoon, it's open. I take the coupon and go and see a 2.30 show. And I see it. So I just wanted to explain the situation I had to go through. So you were there this film. all day. Pretty much, pretty much. But, but for me, there, there's always that expectation with Disney Pixar that there's going to be more to it than just a simple film. There's going to be some story. There's going to be some lessons that are going to be learned. There's going to be something that makes it to where adults and children can both get something out of this film. Comedically, and, and there's going to be heart. Absolutely, you know? there's going to be heart. So for me... This is this is not my favorite Disney Pixar film, and because there's so many out there, right? Um, so that's not saying much. Um, I thought it accomplished what it needed to. For me, in terms of the heart part of it, I'm not. I don't want to use the word lacking because I feel like it takes away from it. I want a little more heart from it, and I know that some people may disagree with me, but in terms of really connecting to make me want to cry or cry tears of joy or like fist pump something like that. I felt like I wanted a little bit more from that, but there's still plenty of life lessons. There's still plenty of things to make you connect to characters, connect, connect you to Buzz, to connect you to his best friend and how she was aging through her family life and everything like that too. I thought there was plenty of that. I just wanted just a little bit more. I would say that ever since Up, oh, and yeah. really you can, go, you can go all the way back to Toy Story if you really want to. Because yeah, there's the definitely originals. emotions in that. Uh, but ever since Up, I have pretty much walked into any Pixar movie knowing that despite my best efforts, I will be emotional <laughs> at some point. And I will That's say that, right. that, uh, that that is one of the things that I'll use the word lacking was lacking in Lightyear. I didn't 
there, there were times where I was like, oh, that's very touching or sweet or sad or whatever. But there was never a time where I had to fight back tears. And I thought yeah, that was you're intellectually knowing that, yeah, this is an emotion, but you're not feeling that emotion. Yeah, it was. It, so I, I took points off for that, which I know we'll get to our grades here in a minute, our, our scores here in a minute. But I, I just uh, I, I took points off for that because I thought for sure, OK, right. Like, you know, it's a Pixar movie. It's going it, to it's going to do something to, you know. And there, again, there were there were moments that were great and there were and the, that were supposed to be hit and all that. But I, I didn't ever have to brace myself to fight back tears. I was right. 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 So uh, my favorite moment, and this is, this is how, you know, this movie was made for millennials that grew up with toy story was when Ivan, the automatic, you know, the, the navigation system shuts down, buzz takes it out and blows in the cartridge. Like a Nintendo. Yes. yes. That was my favorite moment in this film. Cause I was like, ha the right people will get this. The right people will get that. That was yes. my favorite moment in this entire movie because it's that little bit of just acknowledging who this movie really is for. Like children are going to enjoy it. Kids are going to enjoy it. But in order to get the adults to get into this movie, those little jokes like that and those little plays yep. on things really get you to go into like, okay, they, they get me. They get I me. totally, that, that yes. Right there. I felt blowing the cartridge of my Nintendo 64 Coleco football. Coleco. And... <laughs> wow. <laughs> Yeah, so I mean, it's those little touches that Pixar does so well. See, this is the thing. See, like, if you've listened to the show for any length of time, you know I I don't like predictability, right? So yep. But here we are again. Disney Pixar has a formula that works, and uh, they introduce socks, the the, the robotic cat. Okay, I mean, and you think okay. This is going to be well, yeah. But this is going to be. Well, I'll get to that in a second. Uh, <laughs> the, this is going to be a comedic relief character. Yep. who's robotic and who uh, is going to just is gonna, it's going to break the awkwardness or the silence or the tension at all these different points. I knew yep. that and he was still hilarious. So, oh yeah. Uh, I, it was it was really really good. The uh, merchandise thing I want to say before we move on to our scores is uh I really hope this is in the trailer so I'm not spoiling anything, but if if I really really hope that Disney makes a white noise machine, a sound machine as socks <laughs> with his mouth open because it'd be hilarious i turned to my son he's, he's 10 for those who don't know i turned to my son right when that happened again it's seen, it's seen in the trailer but i turned to him and i go i hope they make one of those because you'll buy, buy one it. of those tomorrow yeah oh yeah for sure yeah it'll be on every trip we go on there's yeah. gonna be a uh youtube 10 hour oh yeah looping <laughs> video of socks, socks but admittedly noise. that's not the same mouth. as a robotic there's a robotic cat on your hotel nightstand. <laughs> mm -hmm. Right. <laughs> so a couple things before we get to our scores that I wanted to touch on was first time dilation, because they get into some science here that reminded me a little bit of interstellar. This is, there are some pretty deep topics in terms of the dialogue and the writing was built for an older audience. Sure. And that's totally fine. This is nothing against them. It's like, they realized that animated films aren't just for families or for children anymore. There was a complete target audience of adults that truly do enjoy Pixar films, that truly do enjoy animation. And I respect them for that, for making this movie have dialogue that is meant for older folks. So the, you, you see that with, with, with time dilation, you saw it with like the, the interstellar thing of the aging process of how you don't realize what time's passing by. That's a huge topic. So it's a big deal right there too, because that's opening up a whole conversation topic of time and relativity of time that you can discuss with a child. The other thing, and this is controversial, 
But obviously we know there's been plenty of talk about two moms in this film and people making a big deal out of something that is so, 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 so low in terms of what they're trying to accomplish here. It's just showing acceptance and representation of a child that might grow up with two moms. It's simple love that they're showing on the screen. So I want people to understand that it's just showing love. We see heterosexual kisses all the time. This isn't even a kiss on the lips. It's showing a life that somebody may grow up with, just like we saw in Doctor Strange. Kind of a matter-of-fact relationship. Yeah, it's just that, yeah, there was, there was nothing yeah. like being forced or anything like that, too. And it's just briefly addressed. But anyways, Gover, your score for Lightyear. My score for Lightyear was a 7. Uh, okay. I thought it was good. Again, I'm glad I saw it in the theater. Probably won't own it, but if my kid fell in love with it, I'd probably buy it. Um you know, on digital or Blu-ray or whatever. And, and you'll uh, have it on Disney Plus. It's okay. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but, but but I use that as a criteria, right? Would I go spend right. more money on it? That's sure. what I tried to, right? So I use that as part of my score criteria. Uh, I give it a solid seven. Uh, not my favorite Pixar movie by any means. I don't even know if it's in my top ten, to be honest. But uh, it was a really cool harken back to Toy Story. Kind of gave you the back... The, the, the fact that it's backstory of a major character in a Pixar franchise is is reason enough to love it because then you're like oh you kind of you start to understand why Woody felt the way he did why how how different the two types of media are like how that character came to be right you start to why right. did he want that Buzz Lightyear toy why was it so cool like there's just so many things that were really neat about it so I I, I smiled the whole way through but I would not say that I left the theater wanting more it's fair. Okay, for me, I'm I'm right with Gover. I give it a seven. Solid Pixar film, not by any means my favorite. It didn't disappoint me. I think it did its job. It had a little bit of heart, had some funny moments. And that's what I'm looking for is just something that's going to entertain me. Was it entertaining? Yes. So we saw Buzz Lightyear with hair. Oh my God. Uh, we, we had some great comedic <laughs> relief, some great voice acting as well too, and a, deeper storylines. We're seeing that more and more with animation getting deeper storylines. So I appreciate that they did something that's taking another step. It's not just creating a family film. It's creating an an, a film that is animated that is targeting a, wa- a wide audience, a broad audience. And they, they went for it. And so I appreciate that. But it's a seven for me. I am going to tell you straight out that I love the idea of taking one character from a beloved franchise and giving them the focus, which has been, uh, you know, we've seen that with Disney has done it very well with Star Wars characters. They've done it with uh, WandaVision and the Marvel universe. Uh, So I enjoy when we can go deeper into one character. Uh, And the fact that, you know, this is a TV show from a movie that was a long time ago. I mean, it gets very meta and (laughs) I love that they, they took that chance and said, let's go there instead of just straight storytelling, which I think we just need more. All that being said, I'm going to surprise you. And I'm going to say, I'm going to give it a six because I felt it was a little plastic for the same reasons you guys said, uh, I liked it, but it will not stick with me. So for that reason, I'm going to give it a six. And uh, that's because I give Pixar, uh, I expect a lot from them. What did you think? How how did how did Lightyear hit you? I assume since you're listening to this show that you uh, in this episode that you you've already seen the film. What did you think of Lightyear? We want to know your thoughts. They can follow us on social media at Untitled Film Project everywhere. 
<laughs> Keep it a simple one. Just type it in, you're going to find this. Hi, I'm Pop Makes. And I'm Charlie. We are the hosts of Collector Chatter. Every week we chat about Funko news, rumors, NFTs, Funko topics, and collectibles as a whole. We even dive into all your favorite genres, including Marvel, Star Wars, DC, horror, you name it, we chat about it. You can find us and subscribe on YouTube at youtube.com slash collector chatter and follow us on Instagram at collector chat. And of course, you can listen to us wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. Now let's chat. All right, let's move on to a hunk of hunk of burn a movie. Oh, 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 oh. Uh, we I have... hope that the Elvis impressions end right now. <laughs> Are you trying to say that the Elvis impression that I'm making is not good? Well, Jim's just not an Elvis fan, period. Yes. So, so let's just, uh, we'll let's start with that. Uh, so I went in with a chip <laughs> on my shoulder. A little bit. Uh, I totally... Before you, know, you before you begin, let, yes. me, let me break in real quick, Jim, because I this is a very interesting dynamic for the for our audience. Okay, so Elvis, there's some somebody on this panel who's very excited about it. There's somebody on this panel who does not care for Elvis at all, and then there's Bradford. I don't know where he falls. So, so you, have, <laughs> you, have, you have you have a very very wide range of expectancy slash kind of. Uh, in tune Fandom. to the movie and subject matter. Yeah. So it's really, really neat. So I'm very, very excited to hear everybody's thoughts because uh, the fact that you don't care for Elvis at all, Jim, and then, you know, Bradford and I are in another camp, that makes it very interesting to me. So I just wanted to set that up. I thought it was very important. Yes. It's very important because uh, it's going to change possibly your expectations going into the movie. So uh, while I acknowledge Elvis for, I mean, completely changing the world and being the pop icon and being super talented. It just wasn't, Elvis was never for me. Uh, he, by the time I was old enough in the age of reason, uh, he was already a drug addicted, kind of strange dude on the Elvis uh, Las Vegas strip. So it, he held no appeal to me or people around me. I didn't have Elvis fans. So I'm like, you know, I acknowledge him, but I just don't care. Went into this movie thinking it was going to be a little more of a historic piece. Find out very quickly, didn't do my research going in. It's a Baz Luhrmann film, which he does extended <laughs> two and a half hour music videos. And he's very good at being Baz Luhrmann-y. <laughs> so <laughs> I appreciated your, your, your adjective for the day. Yes. Yeah. Try to use it in your everyday conversations, listeners. Uh, I really liked his approach because it wasn't really a documentary. It was like a long music video. And what he also did was, I think, something very clever. Uh, who, you know, obviously, whoever's going to have to play Elvis is taking on the biggest role imaginable. And the way Baz Luhrmann produced and directed this movie, he introduced us by just seeing glimpses of him at first, hearing little bits and pieces of him in his earliest days so that we were becoming acclimated to not only uh, the times of what it was like back before Elvis became hugely worldwide popular, but also he was slowly letting us get used to the fact that there is an actor that's going to be playing him. And by the time they show enough of Elvis 
to, you know, kind of take in, I had already bought in to the fact that this is Elvis. So hats off to them for making uh, him seem realistic to me. And I enjoyed the movie. I enjoyed the film too, because, well, one, I, I enjoy what Baz Luhrmann does. So Moulin Rouge is, is one of my favorites. I, I love that. And I even joked with the gym before watching the movie. Now, if they're not singing on top of an elephant, <laughs> then I'm just disappointed. Either way, it's like they set the scene, though, when we were screening this film, Jim, yeah. and that they didn't have the air conditioning working. And it was very warm. And people were having to use pieces of paper as flyers to, to get the air moving and everything. It's like we were in Memphis or Mississippi. Here's what I've learned from this episode. Don't go to the theater with Bradford right now because hey, everything hey. is going to go wrong. The electricity is going to go out. The air conditioning is going to go out. What is going on? Anyways, I really did enjoy this film and it was because of the casting and the writing and the cinematography. Uh, Austin Butler, as Jim was, was, was discussing, I think did an incredible job as Elvis because what I like about the casting of Austin Butler, one, he wasn't this big name. Yep. But you already know a lot about him. You already know what his voice sounds like because there's already talk about, well, there's discussion about casting Harry Styles. Well, Harry Styles is Harry Styles. Right. And you would be looking at him as that Harry Styles playing Elvis, not just Elvis. It I like the direction to be somebody who was not a whole household name. Exactly. And Austin Butler is really singing in this film. That's really him. But what I enjoyed about it with the, with the mannerisms, with the, the, the vocals, is they didn't get an impersonator they got someone to portray the persona of Elvis on the big screen. And I thought that was really important yes. is to make you believe that this was Elvis, but not doesn't have to look exactly like him. doesn't have to sound exactly like him. He is expressing himself as the persona of Elvis, which is very, very important for this film to not come off as, as gimmicky or anything like that. Because if you had right. someone that is, go, they were going full bore impersonator, it's going to be a gimmick here. They got someone who can play the role. I think the makeup artist did really well too yep. and, and using the makeup control with what elvis looks like and portraying him as well too on stage with with sweat dripping down his face and everything too uh i really did enjoy just oh, the cast and priscilla with olivia de jong uh, she was priscilla, i thought she did, she was she was great in that role there's a lot of good on-screen chemistry they really did put a focus on how black culture inspired elvis in yes. his dancing in his music everything from rhythm and blues to the clubs in memphis to gospel at church revivals they put yep. an immense focus and they kept reverting back to that. It wasn't like it was just, okay, we're going to do this in act one and not talk about it ever again. No, if you went the entire film, there was a focus on how black culture and black music inspired Elvis and continued to inspire him. Throughout and how important film. it was every yeah. step of his career, he was fighting to keep that in his act. Yes. Yeah. Be himself and be his roots. Whereas Colonel Tom Parker, his manager played by Tom Hanks, was always trying to steer him into be something safe America can can right. latch onto and say he's a good boy, and <laughs> that that was the problem you know that Elvis had uh, throughout this movie is trying to stay true to himself and not be always led by somebody who was trying to change him. I thought the third act did drag a little bit. Understandable that they have to cover so much yes. in a career like Elvis, especially making it a biopic, but also a full-on music video and not be a documentary, trying to cover so much. I, I like how they handled his death. I like how they didn't just drag it on so much that you saw him get into fat Elvis 
that you yep. had him dying on a toilet or anything like that. They just kind of ended it at a good point to tell the story because that's all we need to know. We know the story of Elvis. This was to show more and more about it. And it really didn't make you hate the Colonel so much with his treatment of Elvis, whether it's true or not. Tom Hanks played a good villain role uh, in this as well, too. And ugh, it was creepy how good I, he was in this role, too. I want to I want to talk a little bit about uh, I want to give uh, a some credit to the movie and some one detraction. I never thought I'd be saying this. But my one problem with Elvis the movie was Tom Hanks' accent. His <laughs> acting was phenomenal, but the whole time he was Tom Hanks doing an accent, and uh, that was a major detraction for me, and I never thought I'd say that about Tom Hanks. Uh, but I will say this. Uh, th- well, I don't, I don't know if this was uh, some clever Baz Luhrmann direction of how he wanted us to see Elvis in his later years, but here's where I got to give him, give him credit. The moment Priscilla Presley and Lisa Marie, his daughter, leave his life, the film changes from this brilliant mm-hmm. 4K UHD awesome experience to grainy historical footage look. Mm-hmm. And it finishes the movie that way. From then on, it is. it looks like you're watching uh, f- footage that was sitting in a, a film canister somewhere. Yeah. And I don't know if that was whether to cover up a bad makeup job of fat drug addicted Elvis, or <laughs> if it was just like his life is a blur at that point. So I thought that was a really unique artistic way to end the movie. Filmmakers use symbolism all the time, right? So yeah. I naturally assumed that this is Boz Lerman's way of, I mean, it was clearly a, a, a point where, this event happens, and then all of a sudden, we as the audience view it differently. It's a mm-hmm. like we, we, it's, the visuals yep. are different, and so I thought that was a very poignant choice. I thought it was very interesting creatively. And if there's one thing we can say about Boz Lerman at all, it's that he's <laughs> he pushes the creative boundaries for sure. Yes. and uh, and with everything he's done, whether it be Moulin Rouge or Romeo and Juliet or whatever, maybe uh, even the Get Down on Netflix. So it's it was a really really cool moment. And, it, I, and I didn't, it didn't hit me as blatant. It no. hit me as, as more of a subtle, even though I, clearly you can see it, you notice it. But I mean, it, it, didn't, it, didn't, it didn't hit me until afterwards that, oh, that's why that happened. And yeah. I applaud that. I mm-hmm. applaud that. All right. Final, final take for me before we get to our scores, because it's on music. Um, but it's because Baz Luhrmann and music is so big in his films and his take on it, because he's taking traditional rock and roll and rhythm and blues and modernizing them. And that's with, Elliot Wheeler, who partnered with Boz Lerman, just like he did in The Great Gatsby, which you're taking modern classics and spinning them and putting some trap beats on them. Very contemporary. Very contemporary. And it's such an awesome soundtrack to go and listen to because of their take on music, too. And, well, it's Elvis. It is a music film. Music can be very important. So I'm glad I didn't get eye rolls as much from the two of you on this because music <laughs> plays a vital role in this and you hear it so so much about this film of yeah. these underlying beats and everything too to modernize the film gover it's hard to complain and roll my eyes at music bradford when you talk about it when this whole film is literally based around a music <laughs> superstar so yes you're damn you, right you do get a pass today next oh, week today, thanks. maybe not so much but today you yeah. get that we right. save the eye rolls this time well, Jim, let's go to you. What is your score for Elvis? 
Elvis was a terrific movie for somebody who doesn't like Elvis. My only detraction really was Tom Hanks' accent. I thought, uh, I'm not a big Baz Luhrmann fan. Sometimes he's too out there, but I liked it. So I think my seven and a half is a very generous score for a non-Elvis fan. For me, I think, honestly, if the theater had been a little bit cooler, it might have helped it, me enjoy the experience more. Uh, you can't because, hold like, that against the film. I know, I'm, I'm not. That's why I'm trying to make sure I preface that because I was just like ready to get out because it was so, so warm in this theater, but trying to give respect to the film. And so with that, I'm giving it an eight because I really enjoy the cinematography. I know people are like, oh, music film. Do I really need to see it in the theater? No, this is, this is a movie that if you enjoy music, if you enjoy Elvis, or even if you don't enjoy Elvis, you enjoy a biopics or anything of that matter, just for the cinematography purposes and the music, it is worth seeing in a movie theater to enjoy it with other people. Because I know when Jim and I were there, the general public was in there for a screening too, and they were reacting to a lot of things. And that's what's always neat about those types of things is hearing how other people are reacting to moments in a film when they're there, where we're there trying to critique it. They're reacting to moments in Elvis's life or to certain songs or things like that too. So that's what I'm taking from it. And I really do think, especially since Elvis's family uh, has enjoyed it, I think people are going to end up liking this movie as long as they no go in knowing what it is, that it's not a documentary. It's a glorified biopic that's gonna supposed to, that's supposed to entertain you through music and through cinematography. So I give it an eight. What about you, Jeremy Gover? Did it entertain you? It entertained me a lot. I'm a big music fan, a contemporary music fan, as you guys all know. Uh, I consider myself a, a borderline expert about music and uh, like pop music. And so uh, it's it was highly entertaining to me, kept my feet tapping the whole time. I was smiling most of the movie. But really, the takeaway for me is I was thrilled. They incorporated and then doubled down and maybe even tripled down on the influence of black music and gospel experiences in Elvis's life. I thought that was tremendous. Amen to that. Easily a scapegoat that they could just kind of gloss over and be like, well, they'll just touch on it over here and then we'll build the whole straight. No, they kept going. I, it was really, really great. I gave it a seven. Very nice. This episode, we wanted to jump out and grab some of the, uh, how do we say this? The villains of the cinematic masterpieces that we all love to watch. We love movies, of course, and we love the hero story and the, the anti-hero story even. But we wanted to focus on the villains for yep. this specific topic. So, Jimmy, I think you threw out this question. So would you like to tee up the audience? But before, we, before you do, I will say that we tweeted this question out. Usually what we do is we come in unprepared. So one of us will have a question. <laughs> one of us will have a question, and then we come into the studio, and we, and we, try to, and we spring it on somebody. And then we kind of – it's kind of a, a speakeasy way of saying, how good is your knowledge? It's kind of like that, right, where we kind of right. – how good can you be on the spot about whatever the topic is? And so that's usually pretty fun. This particular case – we wanted to make sure that we had the audience's uh, you know, answers. And so what we did was we all took to our Twitter accounts and we asked the question of what, Jim? I want to know your favorite movie villain of all time. But, but with this caveat, they've got to be human. So Darth Vader, fully human. Darth Vader does not count. Freddy Krueger does not count. We need somebody who's just <laughs> plain villainous as a human being. And I am so anxious to hear who your favorite movie villains are. So we got plenty of responses on uh, on Twitter. So we really appreciate that. And uh, we're going to go through some of those as well. 
Jimmy, you came up with the question, so why don't you start? Okay, I am going to go with Anton Chigurh from No Country for Old Men. Not only is that the most epic haircut, which <laughs> kind of looks a little <laughs> bit like Darth Vader's helmet, if you give it some, you know, generosity, uh, but his ruthless, mechanical-like killing of the people in the movie is like an unbelievable character I've never seen before. Uh, the man justifies his villainy by saying, basically, he's just in a movie and your life, whether I kill you or not, is just a coin flip. And that's however it's going to play out. So the man just has no regard for whether you live or die. It's just a flip of a coin. And he is very good at what he does. And because he has almost like a part of his brain removed that would give him some remorse. He is one of the scariest villains I've ever seen on the screen in human form. We're going to get to your comments here in a minute, but I, because you just said that one from No Country for Old Men, I, I want to go ahead and say Captain Mayhem, Peyton Turnage, and DARP0518 all said Anton Sugar. So that was, that's a, you're not alone in that one, Jimmy. That's great. And hats off to uh, Javier Bardem, who played the role. Uh, this was his big coming out party to a lot of the general movie audience, and For he sure. just crushed it. Justin Bradford, your favorite movie villain. All right. Well, first of all, I want to get to some tweets that came in uh, as well for me. Uh, there are plenty of jokers, like all three jokers uh, yeah. in terms of oh, uh, really? Nicholson, Ledger, and Phoenix. That comes from uh, Bradley Moyer. Uh, and then, all the jokers then because there is a okay, joker yeah. missing named jared leto yes okay let's uh <laughs> it's <Sorry>. mormon time <laughs> 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 then uh, i i like how uh family man here has hans gruber in there yep. uh dj has christopher walken as hatcher in the rundown uh as well Ooh, then, interesting. yeah so Pal <laughs> senator palpatine darth sidious yes uh, another one <laughs> uh let's see um buford t justice and smoky and the bandit <laughs> nice <laughs> uh, that's so a, a great left a few of those one. that's from sean uh but so for me if someone did bring up a good question on when they say favorite villain is a villain that we like or a villain that does a good job of being a villain and i'm taking it as the latter as a villain that that you you hate that okay. for me, I'm going, and somebody else also said this on Twitter. A couple of people, Chris said this as well. Dolores Umbridge. <laughs> From the Harry Potter. Dear God, do I universe. hate that woman. I hate that woman so much to the point that I want to throw stuff at my screen when I watch Order of the Phoenix. She's so good at being bad while trying to look like she's doing it while being nice. Like oh, in terms of one. villain, she's she's a classic villain in that matter too. That she thinks she's doing good, and fully if so so much believes what she does that she doesn't think she's a bad person. Yep. Uh, and so she is she's a great villain. I she's portrayed so well in the film, but obviously in the books too to make you hate her guts so much. <laughs> that makes the best villain though. I think is yeah when they, when they believe in their cause yeah you know right and Gover. I had a lot of fun with this one because it was my immediate answer. And I also knew the second I wrote it down, you guys would not 
Oh boy. Answer the, answer the same way. So that's why I was very confident in going last. Okay. Uh, my honorable mention, first, before I get to my actual answer, my honorable mention is Owen Davian, who is Philip Seymour Hoffman's character in Mission Impossible 3. He's oh, tremendous. Okay. Uh, he yeah. plays him very, very well. He plays the whole range of emotional spectrum, and it fits. It's just absolutely flawless casting. And so, that, so that's the honorable mention. But my go to immediate answer when Jim threw out this question is Mitch Leary. In the Line of Fire. Oh. John Malkovich plays Mitch Leary in In the Line of Fire, and he is the only villain to this day I've left the theater scared of. So I left, I walked out of the theater (laughs) in real life and thought if I ever saw him, if I saw that guy on the street, I would be calling 911 and probably piss myself. That was John Malkovich's portrayal of Mitch Leary in In the Line of Fire. I I really thought you were going to say Gargamel for a second. No, <laughs> I'm not entirely sure he's all human. Actually, is there Smurfs? Uh, so other people, other people tweeted in with me. So I was running down these list. So Mr. Misconduct said Kaiser Soze, the usual suspects, of course. Okay, yeah. Uh, I I will I will admit that I considered him as my honorable mention, but I don't. I rooted for him. So yeah. like throughout the movie, so I I I, I, I disqualified him for that. Kent if you Peters want him to get said, away with it, yeah, maybe yeah. he's not as villainous as you think. Right, exactly, yeah. Kent Peters said Prince Humperdinck from Princess Bride. Yes. Rob S. Martin 9 threw out Hans Gruber, Die Hard. I think you mentioned that one, uh, Bradford. Joel Kidder and Jack Woods both suggested Hans, Lond- Hans Landa from Inglorious Bastards, which is a great one. Uh, Christoph Waltz is amazing. Yes, he is. Michael Compton said Frank Booth from Blue Velvet, which I thought was a very outside-the-box answer and a very good one. Yes. And then B. Vincent 23 said Eric Killmonger from Black Panther, which is hard to argue. He's one of the top five villains mm-hmm. probably in the last decade for sure. Uh, but again, I wasn't, I didn't leave the theater scared of Michael B. Jordan, right? I sure. did leave the theater scared to see John Malkovich in person. So I had to give the nod to Mitch I got to give an honorable mention to, I don't remember who tweeted it, but. Miss Trunchbull from the movie Matilda. Oh, yes. Oh, good one. That's a fun villain. It is a very fun villain. So can we agree that most of these people that we've chosen and uh, our listeners have told us uh, a great villain is played by a great actor? I mean, we're talking really people with chops. John Malkovich, you're talking, you know, Javier Bardem and just all these people that we've mentioned. Christoph Waltz, I mean, uh, just... Wow, those people are so good at what they do. So to play a villain that people remember takes somebody with chops. But it also takes good writing, right? You can't have, like, you could have a great actor in a role. Yeah. We talked about that on the Jurassic World Dominion episode where the, you know, you have Chris Pratt in there and, you know, the, the, the amazing talents of Bryce Dallas Howard and you have all that, but they were just given garbage. And so... True. So you can have a great actor all you want, but if the writing's not there and the character development's not there, it can only do so much. So, yeah. I think based on what Gover has said, we're going to have another question to spin off of this, which is going to be something in a future episode of an actor that has done the best with the worst script or an actor, (laughs) a really great actor that was in an awful movie. Uh, One of those that I think we have plenty that we can utilize with what episode done. Let's move on. (laughs) <laughs> but I think you planted some really good seeds for some future questions there too Gilbert. all credit goes to Jim all credit goes to Jim <laughs> uh, no. 
So thank you for hanging out with us here on the Untitled Film Project podcast, uh, where we talked about uh, Buzz Lightyear and also Elvis and some really great villains. The input from you, our listeners, is always appreciated. And uh, please subscribe and, you know, review us well. Be kind. And, uh, you know, thank you so much for joining us. I am Jim Chandler. Justin Bradford. Jeremy K. Gover. And this is the Untitled Film Project Podcast. Thank you for listening to the Untitled Film Project Podcast. To support the show, please rate, review, follow, and subscribe. Original music by Jeremy Schwartz. Special thanks to the Music City Film Critics Association. Editing and post-production by Jeremy K. Gover. Voiceover by Chad Bennett. The Untitled Film Project podcast is presented in cooperation with iHeartRadio.